And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It is Monday, October 26th. That's right. Halloween week is here. And this is the Hold That Podcast podcast uh, where we talk all things LSU football. I'm your host, T-Bob Bear. Host of radio show called Off the Bench, and I'm joined by my co-host, as I am every week, the Athletics, Brody Miller. Brody, sup, brah? Not too much, man. Uh, finally get to talk about a win this week, but it, here comes the gauntlet. Yeah, what was it, the first ranked win in, what, like 43 years or something? Oh, wow, you're making this an IU thing. Yeah, hell yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I guess this is my moment. Yeah, okay, all right, we're doing it. Yeah, man, I mean, no, it was just, it was perfectly fitting in two different ways. One, it was fitting that IU finally wins, you know, the biggest win literally of my lifetime, and I had to watch it during, like, basically, like, half watch it on my laptop while covering LSU because the game goes into overtime, like, 30 minutes after IU starts. And two, it is just, like, genuinely poetic that, I mean, IU, it's become, like, a laughing point around college football Twitter that, like, Every single year, it's built in that IU is going to outperform and, like, basically have three different top 25 teams down to the wire and then just, like, collapse and blow it. Like, it's just every single year, they genuinely have three major teams on the ropes and every year they lose. So, it was just fitting that, like, they finally get it and it's literally by a stretch of inches after, by the way, blowing a 27 lead. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, like, perfect. It was the perfect Indiana football moment. I'll admit, I actually, I genuinely enjoyed it. I did. Uh, and, and see, you hear that right there. The rare, unabashed happiness from Brody Miller. <laughs> That's why winning football games is so important. Winning football games makes people happy when you're a fan of the team. And that's going to be something that we talk about today because LSU did just that on Saturday uh, with a very nice, complete team win over South Carolina. So we will dive into the game uh, from every single angle today. Uh, and, and I do want to circle back around to that Indiana game more because that was pretty fantastic as well, but we'll probably do that at the end. Uh, on the docket for today, Brody, I've referenced this multiple times on air. Uh, But you texted me Saturday, and I think you nailed it. Um, This was a trust-the-process game. We'll get in to what Brody meant by that uh, message. We'll discuss uh, Finley Mania. We will discuss the state of the defense and how you feel after Saturday and kind of where everything goes from here and what to expect against Auburn, uh, which Brody's probably perfectly positioned to talk about, given that you also did Auburn previews uh, in the offseason. So <laughs> it's going to be a great show today. Uh, this is Hold That Podcast podcast. We are brought to you by The Athletic. Um, look, if, if you want to help the show, the best thing you can do is review it and share it. But mainly, like, rate and review it. That helps us a ton. And uh, for The Athletic guys, for the bosses over there, if you go to the theathletic.com slash hold that podcast, Dollar month sign-up deal. It's so worth it. It's awesome. I, I I love all of the athletics work. All right. Now that that is out of the way, let's dive in, Brody. Um, so you sent me that text Saturday, and it said, uh, this is the trust the process game. What <laughs> did you mean uh, by that text message? 
Yeah, because obviously it was like a joke we were making on your radio show last week and we were making on our show last week about how like, hey, as a Sixers fan, you know, like sometimes you just got to learn to, even when you're losing, just enjoy the youth movement and figuring out who's your future piece is and who's going to stay around for a long haul. And it weirdly worked out like to a T exactly how we predicted because Saturday was the youth movement game, like to an extreme extent where, okay, first off, obviously TJ Finley played a, a, I I mean, I'm not afraid. I know we'll get to the nuances of it and I'm not saying TJ Finley is a superstar, but given his responsibilities, he played a fantastic game. You start there. Then you got BJ Ojolari, the true freshman defensive end, had three sacks and kind of, I would say his most extended, like three down roll-ish game of the season. So he looked like a star. And then you got Elias Ricks having a pick six, and I believe shut out his, you know, basically held his receiver he was covering to a shutout all game. I mean, then you even got, like, the the running backs dominated Emery and Davis Price, and they're sophomores. You know, it was just a – I mean, Eric Gilbert had a nice play. Kayshawn Booty had a nice game. Coy Moore had a few catches. You know, it was just like – it was the youth movement game from uh, top to bottom. And I'm not saying this changes my opinion on the season very much, but it's just encouraging that it's like, all right, you know, at least you got some pieces you can get excited about for the next, you know, three years. So two things. First off, how do you feel about Tej and Beej? Because nice. that's what we started calling them on the fan cave stream. On uh, that's actually really good. That, it's awesome, dude. That's unironic, Beige, unironic, bro. unironically awesome. Does it get yeah. weird if I then call them the Teen Terrors? I don't love that. Yeah, it's, everybody it's not was even that cool <laughs> to me. Yeah, everybody was giving me looks when I was yelling about how much I love these teens. But I do. I can't help it. <laughs> Teej and Beej were fantastic, especially when you're talking like teens and you're talking about Beejes. So it's just like a weird <laughs> that's, vibe. That's true. There's do not Google anything that I just mentioned. Um, also, it's kind of funny. So I have, like I said on air, I've referenced your trust the process text quite a bit. But the name that I always leave out is Eric Gilbert. Yeah, uh, he doesn't feel and, like it. Yeah. And he doesn't, yeah, it's because it's so weird how old he feels already. It's the Stingley thing, yeah. Uh, and, and we'll get into uh, a Rick, but um, he, I want to talk about his blocking. But I guess we'll, we'll, we'll lump that Ooh, in with the offensive line because he was really fantastic this Wait, game. Wait, I actually got to say that. I'm really mad at myself. I When I was writing my, you know, like normal like 10 takeaways thing I do on Sundays that ran today, I genuinely the whole time had in my notes. Mentioned Eric Gilbert stepped up and blocking way better this week, and I forgot to put it in there. So we'll get to that. But, <laughs> Wait, you yeah. forgot to put it in the article even? Yeah, I genuinely just <laughs> forgot. It wasn't even in there. So, yeah, we'll talk about it here. But, yeah, I, I mean, we got to start with TJ Finley, though, right? Yes, okay, so that's what I was going to say. Yes, let's talk about Finley mania. I want to preface it with this. Um, we will obviously address – the idea of a quarterback controversy, because that is a topic that a lot of people took away from this game. Uh, I do want to be just upfront about how I feel about that, though, is I don't love that conversation for multiple reasons. Probably the main one is that it forces us to sound critical of two guys that Thank have you. actually been fantastic. And really, we should be doing nothing but celebrating what you saw out of Finley on Saturday and even celebrating what you saw to Miles in the first three games because like one of the biggest takeaways from all of this is that as an LSU football fan now uh you have proven it's not just a grad transfer quarterback you can develop a guy who came up in an older system and you can recruit and develop your own native guys not just to be good but to play great quarterback like the amount of offensive consistency from that position really is kind of mind-shattering when you think about what the mid-2010s were like for LSU fans. You would have never seen yourself getting to this point a few years later. So shout-out, Coach E. 
Um, but, but that's my preface is that we'll have that conversation because we have to, but I don't love it. And I really even don't think after one game worth of information, if that conversation, like, I don't think it's legitimate yet. Uh, now that said, unless you have anything tag on Brody, uh, you want to dive into Finley mania? Let's do it. Yeah. And yeah, I'm with you on the controversy thing because it's, it was a little delusional in my Twitter mentions on Saturday. It was some extreme <laughs> – because there were legitimate arguments going on. And I, I love every now and then when you have a fight going on in your mentions. But it was like three days long worth of fights. It's still going of just people being like, it's a no-brainer. Finley's the guy. And I'm just like, listen and, – and this is kind of where I'm going to land at my point, which is that – and it's like you're saying. It doesn't have to be one or the other. You can be thrilled with how TJ Finley looked, really impressed, and also understand – and here's the key context, and it's the thing that you can't – tweet because it seems like you're you know if you say it on twitter it just seems like you're being a dick but the truth is like and it, you can probably say it in a more nuanced way on this podcast but lsu ran a very very simple game plan for tj finley that yeah. was basically catered to hey we have a true freshman quarterback playing how do you call a game to to take advantage you know to get the best out of him and that is not a dig that just is just a, a common sense fact of life freshman year miles brennan would have had the same thing but the but the the part you can still be excited about is that you ran this really simple game plan, sure. But here is a 19-year-old kid, a true freshman, going against an SEC opponent, against a, a generally decent defense, and just completely looking like he knows what he's doing out there. Did not even seem remotely scared. And I mean, honestly, we knew he had a big arm, but his biggest you know knocks were accuracy and and things like that. And he was just accurate he was on top yeah. of it he just looked calm and composed and completely gets like a one borderline 100 passing grade on executing the game plan they gave him so you should be thrilled with tj finley and also realize miles brennan is can do way more things just at this point in their careers knows the offense probably 200 as well as either true freshman does right now and just is has played better football in a grand scheme of things, but yeah, Finley kind of blew me away. And I have, and the last thing I'll say before I turn it over to you is, I will own this one because I mean I never explicitly said it, but I had just heard for borderline two years, and we touched on it last week that T.J. Finley wasn't that great. You know that he wasn't very accurate. That he yeah. you know, didn't you know didn't win in high school, and which I always think is misleading. But still, you know, I just never heard much good many good things about him. And he came out first off, beat Max Johnson, a guy I'd heard great things about, and two just completely looked like a grown-up who knows what he's doing and his interviews blew me away with how composed and smart he was and just I mean yeah I, I think you I went from thinking TJ Finley would probably never see the field in an extended way at LSU and by the way I still am not confident he will I still think Nussmeyer and Howard might have a lot to say about that in two years but TJ Finley blew me away and was 100% a player that LSU fans should be thinking about you know the future of this program. Well, one, one, one thing, and, and you got to remember last Monday, I think we, we really hit on this and ended up being true. The thing that kind of threw everything we heard over the, in the summer, like kind of threw it into flux. It's just the, it, it was the trajectory of Finley, right? And the main yep. piece of all of it is when you hear about him losing 20 pounds, uh, that's yeah, a that's really, big. really big deal to me. Cause that speaks to someone who committed himself personally on his own time to being disciplined and eating right and doing everything that Moffitt was telling him. And you saw it pay dividends. And then, so when we're interviewing La oh, last week and we hear things like, Oh, he actually had the least amount of drop balls during camp. And, and then, you know, he had the highest completion percentage on third down. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's look Finley 
uh, was out of shape and, and very raw when he arrived, and he has made the most of eight months. And that first drive, I cannot fathom having a better first drive in your college career. To yeah. be 18 years old, and you are leading the LSU Tigers against a 2-2 two two South Carolina Gamecock team that had won two in a row, you know, pretty good defense, okay defense, to come out and go 75 yards, 16 plays, and then you finish it with the score, uh, it's unbelievable. And it is, it was, to me, I, I just can't stop thinking about that, perfect, that, that, that first drive because not only does it, you know, was I so impressed with that singular game, but I do think, again, that it speaks to where LSU is just offensively in terms of scheme and in terms of just going forward into even the distant future. Like it was perfectly called by Ensminger and yep. it was perfectly executed by the players. It is clinic tape. I have it right here in my film notes. It's like it's watching that tape gave me the same feeling that I do when I like wake up on Thanksgiving day and I know I just have this like <laughs> delicious meal coming my way with all these different elements that come together and form just like an incredible plate of food. That's what it was. And you're right. It was simple, right? It was, it was, it was mixtures of runs and, and RPOs, which Finley looks supremely confident in executing in terms of when to pull it and throw it and when to hand it. And, and reading the defense is obviously something that he must've done in high school. And then he's made the most of train to LSU, but yeah, Ensminger and the coaches did a, a perfect job of giving that vertical slice of the playbook that you were talking about. And then again, because we'll talk about execution a lot today when I think we get to the defensive side of the ball. Again, the plan was perfect and the execution was as well on that first drive. And there's one sequence that really stands out to me. And, and, and I'm not alone here. Everybody's talking about T.J. Finley's composure, right, and how poised and confident he looked despite being on that big stage. Um, to me, on that fourth and one, when he has, uh, you know, whatever, it's, it's fourth and one, right, and they call it QB sneak for him to get it. And not only does he get the first down, which is nice, uh, but then he gets, like, spiked into the ground by five South Carolina players. And what does he do? He gets up and he gets in their face and he's talking shit. He basically bitches one dude that's like half of his size. He kind of like gives him this little like hand wave, like get out of here, little kid. And then and then when he looks to the sideline to get the next call, he hits a flex while looking at the coaches. And this is on this dude's first ever college <laughs> drive. I mean that that you you cannot you cannot teach that kind of self-belief. That is something that you just have to have. And it, 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 in this first game, TJ Finley had it uh, in spades. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I wow, just oh no, I, I sorry, I lost my train of thought for a second. But yeah, no, and, it, and the thing, yeah, the thing with TJ Finley that was almost a knock in a way was that you know he was kind of described as this kid who like had this insane confidence right in a mm. and it was almost described as a little more of a cockiness and i don't know what's behind that honestly you almost wonder if there's some like racial you know dis descriptor behind that but it's how it was used and you know and it was like this kind of kid who he's only a three-star i mean he's the lowest rated member of lsu's 2020 signing class which is crazy and yeah they were just like this guy thinks he's gonna come in and be a star day one and you know what? That's kind of how Joe Burrow thought too. You know what I mean? When he went up to Ohio State or whatever, you know, he wasn't a huge recruit either. And I think you need some of that. And yeah, the most impressive thing to me, and it kind of builds on what you're saying, is just it wasn't even just the drop back and throw a nice dart and some of those passes, which he did great. It's it's when there was pressure. Yeah, just being able to kind of 
it wasn't that he did anything crazy with the plays. It was just there was pressure, but he kind of sat in the pocket comfortably, made his reads, kind of rolled around. But even when he was rolling around, it wasn't a panicky roll around. No, it was, it was very lazy, very measured. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Me- that's me- a, measured's that's a, better that's than lazy. Perfect, that's yeah. a perfect – no, that's a perfect word for it. Yeah, just kind of confident, roll to the right. All right, see my guy, make the throw. And it was like – Oh, I mean, and again, this isn't a dig of Miles Brennan, but like Miles Brennan was criticized for being too jumpy as a redshirt junior in his first start against Mississippi State. Yeah. And here's 19-year-old TJ Finley doing that. And then lastly, I'm I'm glad you brought up the weight thing because I think, you know, I think you and I both, you know, leading up to this past week was we were like, well, they're early enrollees, but what do you make of that in a pandemic, right? Because they didn't get a normal early enrollee year. They didn't get to spend that whole eight months at the facilities, training, learning, all those things, spring practice. But you know what? You, I can tell you this, and I, you know, his, his mother, Dr. Shanna Finley, was pretty funny, and she was saying, like, you know, she's first off said she just saw TJ mature so much since he arrived at LSU, both, you know, in a mental sense and a physical sense. And she was like, listen, basically the way she put it was, yeah, we've been on TJ about, you know, being on his weight for years, but he's a teenager and, you know, it's, you know, he wants a burger and fries, going to eat a burger and fries because he thinks he can get away with it and you and you generally can. And he said what happened to him was he went to, you know, enroll early at LSU and he's basically surrounded by these athletes and, you know, everybody at LSU has a six pack, right? Yeah, everybody, that's true. Everybody there is just like a physical freak and it was just kind of like oh, okay, yeah, I'm a little embarrassed. you know. And I, I love I, how in the postgame, yeah, he was talking about how everybody was clowning him, being like, bitch, you're going to end up on the D-line. I think I – yeah, that was actually really funny. And, and I think I almost gained the most respect for him the way he was talking about his weight. And he's like, listen, I, I showed up at LSU, and he's like, it's going to sound terrible, but I guess I'll say it, you know, 265 pounds. It was the way, like, his self-awareness about it. Actually, yeah. like, I think that's when I'm like, all right, I'm in on this kid. But – but yeah, he he saw that and it was just like a wake up call. Of like, and I forgot. I wish I still had the quote. It was really funny. But and all of a sudden, right after that, he really cracked down. He started waking up at five a.m. to go on runs, and he started eating healthier food. And and all of a sudden, you know, he lost twenty plus pounds. That is wild, and it actually made a difference. And I'm, it's not just about like always oh, faster because he lost weight. It, one, it showed. Yeah, I think you just move better. You're a better athlete. You're better at throwing a football, and you're in better shape. But two, it also is more about the maturity part of it. Yes. It's more about he 100%. actually could go do that. So yeah, I, I, I am holding up my I was wrong about TJ Finley card, and yeah, I'm genuinely impressed. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I um I don't I mean we'll we'll get here later on but if you watch closely when they put the young O lineman in they could use a little bit of that TJ Finley maturity. Uh everybody uh, from the young O lineman is way too heavy right now. But 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 we can get there a bit Wait, later. Wait from the what? Uh, 
from the young O lineman. Like when oh, they put that second yeah. group in, it's it's. I feel bad, but it's it's not a. There's potential there, but everybody's just too big. Like it's that simple. Well, whatever. I, I don't want to get distracted here. Um, There's a reason Charles Turner is the still the third string left tackle with all these guys out because he's like basically one of the only guys they probably can trust. To. And he's in shape. Like, yeah, no yeah. Else looks like they're in shape. But okay, let's let's get back to Finley. Um, okay, so what's funny is we're talking about losing 20 pounds. He's still massive. He still weighs 245. Like, <laughs> that's six, what's six, crazy. Yeah, yeah, that's what's crazy about his normal size. I think that that, that, that makes him uh, a nice running piece, even if you don't think of him as a threat, right? Like, I, I also like that they called a couple quarterback powers. We saw more of that creativity and running back power, for that matter. We saw more of the creativity that we wanted out of the run game. But I like that they called those quarterback runs to kind of – you know, get him in the flow of the game a little bit. Get him hit around a little bit. Get him feeling good. Like, oh, okay, I can take this. Like, I, I like this. And then one thing that I really loved uh, was his response to throwing the interception, right? And I don't know if it was miscommunication. Like, I don't know if it's on him, the wide receiver, what exactly went wrong there. Uh, but the fact that it happened when he was in the zone, like at that point in the game, he'd been dominating. And on that drive, he was just like, lasering left and right so the fact that it happens when you're in such a rhythm in the zone and then you come back and it doesn't take you out of that zone that's a really good sign for him going forward because like ultimately when you're like everybody in a football field the golden rule is one snap and clear you have to have short-term memory but especially for cornerback and quarterback if you can't do that you'll never be good at that position and he looked like he threw that pick, whatever, I'm coming right back. I don't care. I'm still going to go out there and make plays. Yeah, no, first off, that is probably the thing we should highlight most is how he responded, and you nailed it. And then also the fact that, I mean, he finished stronger than he started in a way. And granted, they were running the ball at the end of the game, but pretty sure he completed his last five passes in a row, you know. So wow. he got some of those things out of him, and then he just finished stronger and stronger. And, you know, I'm glad you mentioned the running thing. And, yeah, he's not a runner, and he never will be. And he's not even a scrambler. But, but you know, I, I couldn't help but laugh, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure you saw this as well like two different people sent me like a tiger droppings post on friday that was like basically just showing all these highlights and it was like tj finley is cardell jones 2.0 and, and i'm like rolling my eyes in the back of my head because again like i, I promise this isn't a thing i say often but i'm like that is a race thing because they have very little in common like yeah, they have so little in common except being big and black and having big arms but like and rocket arms i was about to say they did call cardell 12 gauge yeah. and tj definitely has a 12 gauge arm as well <laughs> yeah they, so they really don't have much in common but then all of a sudden i'm watching how they ran him and i'm like that actually is kind of similar because cardell jones is also <laughs> not a runner he's not but but they were he had success running because he just has so much like forward momentum that you could run an occasional like qb power with him just out of like pure you just can't stop like, i mean oh, he's just gonna shit, fall right, forward like how you push him back i i, I just i it's tough <laughs> as a defender it's very tough the only way is kind of on 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 the sneak where like if you can manage to get underneath him right but it's just yeah it's it's, it's hard to do yeah so i mean yeah my takeaway is purely here's a guy who we all expect we all were preparing for the worst out of lsu this saturday you know it was yeah. it was like everyone kind of entered it with a who the hell knows what's going to happen yeah it's like a six point spread but like anyone predicting they know one way or the other is full of it and all you, all LSU needed 
was just a, a quarterback who just won't ruin it, you know, just just execute. And that's genuinely what he did and probably a little above and beyond. And Again, I think the credit, one, goes to Finley's maturity in that moment, but two, has to go to Steve Ensminger, Scott Linehan, Russ Calloway, all those guys yeah. because, yeah, they, they, they called a perfect game plan. And, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of people who leave this game being like, see, this is proof this offense only works when you run it. And I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think they should Wait, run but it. the offense has been working. What are you talking yes, about? Yes, that's, that's, that's exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I don't think that should be like a takeaway here. Although, yes, the running game looked fantastic. So maybe lean on it a smidge I mean, more, the thing but, is, I hate when yeah. people criticize it from a play calling standpoint. Oh, it's, it's wrong. Guess what? It's easy to run the ball when your O-line is kicking ass. Yes. I mean, that is actually the MVP of this game is the offensive line. Uh, I just want to start there because, again, I really yeah. do want to celebrate Finley because I'm blown away by what this 18-year-old did. But the offensive line was easily the most dominant they've been all year long. Against uh, a not-bad D-line, I want to clarify. Like, yeah, like South Carolina, you could argue, is what, the best D-line they've played so far? I So, I'm is Mizzou's I'm not going to pretend is, I have, is, like, in-depth analysis. No, I know, but I'm saying, is, is Mizzou's D-line good? Because well, LSU were, played their backups and looked bad, and then they looked really good against Kentucky. I don't know. I guess I'm just thinking it's out possible, loud. It's possible, but yeah, they were playing backups, so I just have a hard time. Uh, yeah, yeah, but whatever. Yes, point is, this is a pretty good South Carolina D line, and the offensive line didn't just like whoop that ass. Like they dominated. Did Ed Ingram played an all time football game. Like it was. Yeah. You know, it's like it became a cliche of people tweeting about it Saturday night, but he looked like an absolute. You know, first two round kind of interior lineman. He looked like an absolute stud out there, and I think that's where his talent level's always been. So that's no yeah. surprise. And that was my takeaway Saturday as well, because like I'm watching on a live stream, and so I'm not like watching super analytically all the time. What I was shocked to see when I got back was how good the rest of the line also played. Yeah, um, Jason Hines, I think, finally looked like the Jason Hines that I thought I would see. You know, years ago when I saw him in that first game get thrown into the fire against Auburn and he held his own. Like, he looked like that player a couple years older, which was nice to see. Um, Liam Shanahan is the king of what a move that was one of my specialities at times also, but what I would call the blue-collar pancake, where it's not that you blow the guy off the line. Like, sometimes you may even get pushed back a step. But you stay square on him, you stay on him, and you keep driving. It's a high-effort pancake. And then when the ball passes you, the D lineman tries to shed and tackle. But if you keep moving, you put him on their back. He did it like three or four times the first drive where he kind of got blown a yard back. And then he, you know, kind of reset and, and, and got it done. So, again, Liam's not the most physically dominant blocker, but he had really good technique this game. Uh, and then the best thing that I can say for the tackles, I'm very impressed with Cam Wire. I'm terrified about the depth. But we all know about Deculus. I was impressed with Cam Wire. But the best thing I can say about the tackles is South Carolina chose to rush four and drop seven. They wanted – I think they thought two things. I think they wanted to see the freshman prove that he could beat that coverage. And I also think that they thought that they could get home with four. And, and they didn't at all. And, and if you're not getting home with four, that means that your tackles played extremely well because those are the guys that are going to get left one-on-one -on -one in most of those situations. So – all over the place, domination from the O-line. And one of the reasons why this is so important to highlight is because if, if you want to transition into the Miles versus TJ thing here, um, look at how this entire team played and now apply that to the first three games. If you had had this offense led by Miles get that play from the O-line, if you had had them get the contributions from the defense, the touchdown from the special teams, whatever, something along those lines – 
Um, you're talking about you being 4-0 at this point and Miles Brennan legitimately being a Heisman candidate. <laughs> so, like, I, 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 I understand um, – it felt so good on Saturday, and TJ Finley looked so damn good, and there's not a takeaway at all from him, but really why it felt so different wasn't because TJ Finley, it was because everybody outside of quarterback played a much better game. No, I think you put that beautifully. First off, glad you gave that grade on the O-line, just because, I mean, I can't give that kind of analysis on the O-line. So I, I, I have always been kind of curious how you viewed Liam Shanahan, so that's good to hear. And then, two, yeah, I think, you know, it almost goes – it's like this thing I always have to – in every, like, group chat I'm in, every friend conversation I have about sports, you know, anytime anyone reacts – anything to anything the first four weeks of any football season I always say and it's something I've heard like Bill Belichick pretty much talk about that basically the first four weeks of a football season are still basically preseason I mean think teams are still figuring out who they are they're still figuring out what works guys are just getting in rhythm like it's unfortunate but I, I mean I'm curious you might disagree with that but I think you don't really know who a team no. is until, I mean you're like, seeing that six. all over the NFL <laughs> what's happened to the Bills lately yeah you see you see it all the time <laughs> yeah so I think you you nailed it that it isn't about Finley and people shouldn't take it that way and I don't even think it's about like a game planning thing the the offense is just coming to a point where it's rounding into form the freshman receivers look a little more comfortable now Very Gilbert much so. looks more comfortable now O-line looks a huge step up not that they're ever inherently bad but they look like a borderline you know they good were they group. were pretty they were pretty bad against Mizzou in my opinion okay all right fair. Um, and, and not like not I didn't really from notice a, that. I think in pass protection they were good, but I, I just mean in the complete ineffectiveness to run the ball. Okay, fair. Good to hear. Uh, uh, like, uh, and, and, and because of the knock-on effect that that then has where then the play card doesn't feel confident in calling runs, and then you know, you're know you ending up like with a 65-35 pass split. Yeah, okay. So that's good to hear. So, and, and my point by saying all this about the you know preseason thing and all that is that the offense, and let's be clear here, I do not mean the entire team because I still think this team's in trouble, but the offense is actually rounding into a form right now where it is kind of about to become its best self. And if you want to do some crazy yeah. galaxy brain, brain spin zone thing here right now, if Miles Brennan does come back 100% whenever he does come back, you know, if he's actually like himself when he comes back, which we'll see, his injury might almost turn into the best thing for this offense because I think yes. I think this offensive line might not be where it is if he was healthy the whole time. I don't know if this running game would have figured itself out with you know all these things. I think Terrace Marshall probably even stepped up a notch because he was out. You know all those things. So I think it's rounding out into a form right now where when Miles Brennan comes back, if he's a hundred percent. This offense has a chance to be an actual top unit in the SEC, and we still haven't seen him play a top 25 rated defense, so of course there's that tiny, tiny bit of you that has to say, yeah, but, and as you should, but I think there's a chance this offense really rounds into form. The defense, I still have zero confidence. Yeah, and we'll, we'll get to the defense here uh, in a second, but but I, I, I like how you place that with Miles because it reminds me of... Uh, I, so on two of my different toilets, I have two different Malcolm Gladwell books that I'm working through, right? One is Outliers and the other is David vs. Goliath. And at the very How did you decide which goes on which toilet? Is there a um, rationale there? No, no, no. It, it actually switches sometimes, too. I, I'm pretty laissez-faire <laughs> with my toilet books. Have uh, you ever sat down to use the restroom and, and been like, damn, honey, can you bring the other one? I was thinking this book today. No, 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 no. At that point, it's like full commitment, right? Yeah, you're fair, already fair. in it. You're already in it. Just enjoy whichever one's there. Yeah. Uh, but at, but at it's the a beginning point of... Day. Yeah, exactly. I actually haven't read Tipping Point yet. But at right. the beginning of... Uh, 
David versus Goliath, he talks about how, like, you know, our view of underdogs can sometimes be, or whatever, there's a different perspective you can take on it where it forces you to do things that you never would have considered otherwise. And that's kind of what's happened when Miles Brennan goes down. All of a sudden, you don't have a choice. You have to get more creative in the running game. You have to find success on first down and try to set up third and short, which, by the way, they were 0 of 10 against Missouri on third down with an average distance of third and nine. And then uh, this game, they were 8 of 10 with an average distance of third and three, right? Uh, you Thank have you. to you, you have to trust this O-line a bit more. You have to develop these relationships. With receivers. Like It just made everybody step up their game. So, yeah, now I feel you. If you get back and you are at your fullest strength, you should be even better. It, it's kind of how I feel. I know we got a lot of Saints fans that listen as well. It's kind of how I feel about the Saints with the absence of Mike Thomas right now. Like like Alvin yeah. Kamara has been forced to step up even more. Jared Cook, you saw Marquez Callaway on Sunday. Like these other weapons are developing. And then when Thomas gets back, well, all of a sudden you have these new relationships to go along with the old one. And then everything in theory should be even better. So uh, I love this LSU offense. I mean, that's my takeaway. Like, it's it's just so nice to watch this sort of dominant offensive football. Before we move to defense, let's talk about Eric Gilbert um, as a blocker because uh, I think last week we said he was like a raw blocker, but, you know, he's willing. Um, Now he's just straight up getting to be a good blocker. Like like him as that lead fullback, which I love how LSU does that. They they, kind of take it from the tight end position and have him lead up the middle. Um, Yeah. If he keeps this sort of like improvement up, he is going to be a true like prime Gronk type of tight end <laughs> where not only are you a truly dominant receiving threat, but you're like dominant in the run game as well. And the fits that that causes for a defense in terms of what to expect and how to defend that player, it's it's invaluable to an offense. Yeah, I mean, because we all saw those first few games. I mean, there was when he would be in pass protection, he would just, you know, he barely touched a guy, sometimes like that. And by the way, it's a true freshman playing on the line of scrimmage against I the hate I hate tight ends pass blocking anyway. If you leave a <laughs> tight end one-on-one, on one, yeah. you, you reap what you sow. Well, well put. No, no no disagreement there. But yeah, and it was just a different person because, I mean, obviously, if you just look at that human being, all the pieces are there to be a very, very good blocker because it's not just the size and strength. It's the idea that when you're coming around edge, you're, you're also coming with more force than anybody because you're so fast. So there's no reason for him not to be a great blocker. I'm sure some of it's mental and I'm sure some of it's just learning, like learning how to do it. So yeah, seeing him get, it's like the Miles Brennan getting better each week thing. I don't have much to add. I mean, you nailed it, but no, to it, me, was a, to it was me, a severe difference. Yeah, to me, it's 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 just. I think it, more than anything, I do think it's just time on task and technique, and, yeah. and so I'm excited to get better. One thing it does set up, and I'm sure they have this in there, and maybe we've already seen it. I'm not realizing, but the potential for him to just like eventually just run past the linebacker and be behind the defense for a pop pass Ooh. is. I mean, come on, what are we doing here? Like that's like that's like so easy and would work so well. Uh, there you go. That that should be on the uh, fullback. Um, okay, let's. Or that should be on the playbook for red zone. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 
Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, let's talk about the defense. Um, I, I Sorry, my hesitation there because I was trying to decide if I wanted to get in the young alignment or not, but I actually don't think no, there's I don't much anything worth There's yeah. not, nothing worth commenting on. I thought maybe it gave us a look into the depth chart, but then hearing Charles Turner is going to be the backup tackle anyway, they, it didn't even do that. Uh, everybody was just too fat. Um, <laughs> okay, let's talk state of the defense uh, because to me, the same way that the first offensive drive was literal perfection the first defensive drive was the literal inverse uh it was horrible um and and it's so frustrating as a team when you you grind out this drive right 16 plays uh half a quarter 75 yards and then the other team gets the same amount of points with you know, a tenth of the effort, three plays, 75 yards, 54 seconds, bam, touchdown. Now it's 7 7. It's incredibly frustrating. And we'll get into it, Brody. But right now, what I see is a defense that does not trust each other player to player. Okay. I, I think there's an overall lack in, in uh, maybe a distrust in the scheme as well. But I mean, I saw a simplified scheme this game. There didn't seem to be a lot of miscommunication. There were still definitely MAs, but I mean like pre-snap. Like for the most part, guys were set. Everybody looked like they knew who they had regardless of what happened. So like I can't put this one as much on the coaches. To me, there was a lot of failure to execute. And when I say lack of trust in players, my hypothesis, and I could be, maybe I'm just overthinking here, but my hypothesis is that you have a bunch of players that for four years now or however long, have been playing in a Dave Aranda defense that is more of a two-gap read defense, right? Where you're being a little more read, a little more reactive. Um, in a gap scheme like this 4-3, you have one gap, and you have to win that job. And you have to do your job and trust that the guy next to you could do your job. And right now, this defense needs to learn whoever who has contained and whoever has contained, damn it, that person needs to contain. They have to set the edge. Like one one of the biggest problems I've seen is that guys will the guys that are supposed to be on the edge forcing the play back inside they'll want to make the play on their own and so they're trying to fight across the face and, and then it's just spilling to the outside and and everything's breaking down you cannot do that in this defense again you have to trust that I'm going to do my job and I'm going to force the play back in and while I won't make the play my teammate will be because that's his job. And I don't see that right now. And like, as much as I love Ollie Gay, he's got to be better in this regard. A lot of the guys do. Uh, and, and that's just one of the issues that I'm seeing with this defense right now. Yeah. I mean, you watch that game and I, I don't, I have examples ingrained in my head of, you know, Damone Clark, you know, 
crashing into what I believe was the C gap and then nobody has the outside and then the guy goes outside for a 40 yard touchdown or Jacoby Stevens you know it's it looked like it was his job to set that edge and then you know he ends up cutting inside of the the outside blocker and then the exactly. guy goes outside you exactly. know exactly what the it, fuck are we doing <laughs> it's and, and you know I know Jacoby Stevens tweeted after the game that you know all these people criticizing him they don't know football like you know and I'm sure there's little nuances we don't know of course but I, I assume the problem somebody- is there are people that definitely do know football that are very down on him as well right now. It's just it's 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 a struggling transition for Stevens into this new defense. Badly, 100%. Him, him, him and Damone Clark. Yeah, because you know what? Call me crazy. I assume it's somebody's job to set that edge, and I don't know who it has to be. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it's just kind of wild. It's 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 a lot of those guys in the back, you know. And, and Jabril Cox admitted it. He put it pretty well. He was like. You know, a lot of them were mishaps, and he said a lot of it was people putting their eyes in the backfield. You know, they want yes, to make, exactly. It's reading. It's you got to do your job. This is not a read scheme. Exactly. I think I think a lot of people. I would assume, and I'm I'm speculating here, but you know, this defense was supposed to allow them to be more aggressive, to attack, to go make plays, and you know, it seemed like sometimes people might have overread that. You know, and all of a sudden it means you're playing out of your gap, and that's just not what this is supposed to mean. So yeah, I mean, you're at a point now where they already entered Saturday. Number 71 in the country in both isolated points per play and marginal explosiveness. Now they are both 99th in the country after just one game in both of those categories. They dropped drastically in both. That is uh, that is an issue. And uh, 94th in explosive play rate. This is all, by the way, uh, according to ESPN's Bill Connolly, who's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of ridiculous because when you look at the overall defense, you know, just from like an every single part of it, it's not... I mean, it's bad. I don't know how to put this, but like, there's not many well, areas. It's weird. You lead in sacks. You lead in yeah. TFLs. You have great turnover ratio. The corners like, are the actually kind of no- shutting people down. Yeah, it's like the things that we normally define a defense on. You've actually been pretty spectacular. It's just that there's that, but 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 again, I think we've talked about this. That just speaks to how like horribly wrong it is going in these more traditional areas that you take for granted yeah because yeah you don't get a play it both ways you can't be like well we were great on those se- those 75 percent of plays no it doesn't work like that because on that and i'm chucking out a random percentage here so this isn't real but i'm saying like on that you know 25 percent where you screw up you screw up at a 60 yard rate so it's not like you don't get a cancel out factor there you just don't so in the the you know, I you can almost explain you know the edge mistakes we're talking about, right, or the getting too eager mistakes. I have a hard time even you know as somebody who will admit sometimes I I'm not the expert. I have a hard time even explaining some of those coverage errors where I mean these South Carolina receivers are just a mind-boggling level of open on some of these, yeah. and you know they got bailed out by Colin Hill missing like three times on some of these passes, but guys are just explicitly wide open. So I I just don't understand it because that secondary. First off, the the like Ricks is the only true freshman there, and he's actually playing fine. You know, he's not playing inherently badly, as far as I can tell. No, he's doing well. I mean, he's yeah. doing really well. He had yeah. the MA that everybody's on him. For Obviously, the big six. Yeah, I don't really put that on him. That's more <laughs> no. on just the general. That's a systematic. Yeah, okay, thing, so yeah. you know what's funny? You know how you always talk about being uh, good up the middle and how important that is. Right now, this LSU defense, all the weaknesses are up the middle. It's interior yeah. defensive line, linebacker, and safety. Well, uh, your defensive end group actually looks great. Your cornerbacks actually look great. Uh, but but obviously that's a bad place to be because, again, you need to be strong up the middle and you're just not getting it right now. And like you even said with Ollie Gay, right, it, it's – yeah, the edge rushers are doing really, really well at edge rushing, but they're not doing well yes, at the other parts point. of you're it. Right. Yeah, you're they're right. not you're doing right. well at 
And granted, like that's fo- that's sports, right? You, sometimes it's a trade-off. Sometimes you want your ISO two guard score, and and you can accept that he's not a great defender. Sometimes that's going to happen. But it, and I, I'm sure. I think if I had to ask them, I bet they would take that trade-off. But yeah, you are missing some physicality there. You are missing some discipline there. And yeah, we maybe it's just reverting back to the mean where we always knew defensive end was going to be a bit of a, a toss-up. But it seems fixable. And they're four games. I don't know in. defensive end though. It, like you said, they're bad run support. But between the Ojolari pass rushes, Ali Gay on. Andre Anthony, Ray oh, yeah. Thornton actually had a sneaky nice play on um, <laughs> on on Ojolari's first sack where yeah. they ran a little game and he completely disrupted the screen, which helped Ojolari get home. Uh, actually, really good call by Pliny as well. If we're you know just no, yeah. give credit where credits due. No, that is a bit of a victory uh, right now that they have like an actual. It's pretty rare to have a D end rotation of pass yeah. rushers that you're actually thrilled with. And yeah, I mean. Andre Anthony is the least exciting of them and doesn't have as many stats, but he has been a really good pass rusher this year who actually has had a really good pressure rate and just doesn't like always get home. But but yeah, Ollie Gay, BJ Ojolari, and Andre Anthony right now are a legitimately scary edge rushing trio. So yeah, give them so, some So like right now, right now to me, I, so I said the biggest problem is a lack of trust in terms of like gap scheme and how everybody interacts with each other. Uh, the other thing to me is just linebacker. Is passivity a word? I, be- I think that is the word, yeah. Uh, well, a linebacker passivity may be the biggest issue because, and so we talk about Stevens run fits being bad and they have been, but sometimes I kind of feel for Stevens because he's trying to come up there and, and, and make a play, but the linebacker is not forcing the running back into a decision point. Right. Like they're, they're, they're catching these blocks five. And, and I should say, I, I mainly mean Damone Clark. Yes. Um, Jabril Cox has been better. Not you know, not perfect, but he's actually probably been better than you would think given the defensive problems. But you know, Clark is kind of catching these blocks like five yards deep and he's catching them high as well. And then all of a sudden the running back can still go two ways and the safety's trying to crash and run support, but you know, he gets to make that decision based on what the safety does instead of based on what the linebacker does. Uh so it's it's Damone Clark unfortunately is having a lot of kind of ripple effects on this defense right now. And I don't know if it's uh, just about keep him in there till he gets better at it. Maybe you give Baskerville the extended look because he showed some nice aggression, even though he too had his problems when he came in there. But um, if, if, if that linebacker play doesn't drastically improve, I don't see this defense really drastically improving. Like they can be good. They can be average. I mean, they can be average because they have the talent to be. I don't know if they're going to stop any of these good offenses though. If the linebackers don't play better. Absolutely. And I think, you know, and I think the main place you just leave right now as we, as we, you know, wrap up the segment, I imagine is that it just doesn't seem like it's getting much better in any way. Four weeks in, you had a week off and yeah, you got to give credit to the fact that, you know what? They did not play good football, but they, Made stop. You know, South Carolina made it into LSU territory on I want to say like seventy five percent of drives. I mean, it was almost every time they at least got into LSU territory. That's terrible. But LSU actually stopped them the majority of the time. They got bailed out by some missed field goals, but still, it's a win that you actually were able to force. But this them to field year, goals. you'll take a field goal. Oh, no, yeah, yeah, I mean, make it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Right. They, like, this they is did a improve. Bend, but don't break here. They did improve. Yeah. If you can be bend, don't break. This team has a chance. The problem is South Carolina is not a good offense, like at all. And, I know. You, and you were forced to bend, don't break against them. 
attempt. But still, yeah, they did get a bunch of third down stops. They did, you know, stop South Carolina for them almost whenever they got past midfield. So you had a couple ten, coverage sacks for probably the I was first say, time all year. One of Ojolari's was completely a coverage sack that people don't really talk about. So yeah, there's that. That I guess that is a positive. Ojolari so, also had a badass Euro, basically a Euro step sack. Did you see that? Where they tried to chip him and he hits the chip with like a Euro step and then immediately redirects outside. And it was a coverage type of sack, but that was, uh, it was just. Was it the first sack? No, no. Wasn't the, the third first one. one? It was, yeah, maybe the third one. Hold on. Actually, I have it. Hold on. I have it written down. Let me find it. Um, it was the. Uh, yeah, the third, his third and final sack. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The third and final sack. I have a real question for you. How much of a sack do we call the first sack? Because it was a screen sack. So, you know, like, he well, was okay, okay. kind it, of it, let it, through. It, it was a screen sack, and maybe it was a bit of lazy play by the left tackle. But I will say this. In that play design, the left tackle's not he getting is blocking. Yeah. So he is blocking. Like, you're right. Now, you can still get lazy, though, on a screen because you're like, ah, the ball's coming out, whatever, you know. And so maybe that played an element. And like I said, if, if Ray Thornton doesn't disrupt it, the ball probably gets out of the hands. But, you know, but that's if you look at any sack, a lot of that's kind of going to be the case. And the left tackle was still in blocking, and he still got beat. Yeah. All right, I don't have much else to say on the, the defense other than basically Let me see they are still a problem. Um, they're still a problem. I wonder, you know, the, the running numbers do get a bit better if you take out the first drive, which – you know, granted, maybe you shouldn't do, but th- what was that about? Like 70 yards on the first drive, maybe added the, to the running game? Well, that goes to the core thing, which was, I don't think, yeah, the run defense when it was like a normal in-the-box play, or, you know, just a conventional play, was fine. Yeah, I, I think that's something, I'm glad you said that. Yeah, I don't think it was. So I think, it, I think it was, in this. Those huge runs were basically, one was a counter and one was a, like, reverse, right? Or a Jets, you yeah. know, Jets, like, yeah. that was the problem. It's setting the edge and, you know, these guys can be on the outside. So to me, I actually, even though the defense remains bad, I don't trust them against good offenses. Um, I at least saw market improvement uh, in terms of I saw less confusion. I saw a simplified scheme. And now, so you, you did some of the steps. And now you identify these new problems, like a recommitment to trusting each other, to setting that edge, to having contain. And then those are the next steps. And then maybe you see this defense actually start to improve. And then again, if somebody can step up, at the end, maybe it's Simone Clark. Who knows? Maybe he just starts to get it right. I mean, the coaches gave him 18 for a reason. Like, they must have seen it in practice or something. But if somebody could step up, they go a long way. Um, then on a positive with the defense, Eli Ricks getting his third pick in four games and going yep. pick six, giving the deuces on the way to the end zone, and then hitting a Michael Jackson leg kick is pretty badass. <laughs> no, so I mean – cool. Yeah, yeah. Ira Rex is an interesting dude because he is kind of. I, I love talking about these confident, you know, certain confidence in certain players. Eli Ricks is also in that, like, you know, like I said, it's a positive, but like that delusional level of confidence kind of player. Yeah. And I, which, and I, which I, again, cornerback and quarterback yeah. need to have if you're going to be the man. 100%. I mean, I, I wrote a big feature on him in, I want to say, February, right before the pandemic. And, and the stories I heard were just awesome about like him going in to play Marvin Harrison Jr. You know, at, at uh, St. Joe's in Philly and basically like telling his coach, like, I am just going to get in his face and harass him all day. And the coach was like, all right, let's not get like penalties. And he's like, no, it'll be worth it. And he got like sick. Like they basically traded 120 yards in like personal foul penalties of just going at each other. But he shut Harrison down be- <laughs> like, basically because he was so insane with him the whole like that first half. Harrison just didn't catch anything all game. So I love that story because Ricks is just kind of a different kind of dude in that sense. 
Uh, um, okay, Brody, whenever player availability is this week, I got a question that I need you to ask the yes, people. Sir. People demand it. Um, did you see the celebration after the John Emery touchdown? Okay, you're, you quote tweeted the photo and it had me laughing yes. quite a bit because there was a lot going on there. But I'll, it's, I'll, so, yeah. it's so weird. Two guys are pulling this weird baby carrying celebration and that's what Ed Ingram talked about. And then what else fascinated me is off in the side and then I looked for it on the video and you can see it on the video as well. Tory Carter and Liam Shanahan look at each other and then perfectly line up and pull this like kind of Broadway heel click in the middle of the air. I don't know why. Is it like a Shanahan, like Irish, like leprechaun thing? I, 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 I have no idea. I need to know what happened on these celebrations. I'm actually going to go back and watch because I only saw the photo. But And you also got to talk about Liam Shanahan – wouldn't have expected it. Got pretty high up there. Definitely yes, beat Tory Carter in that dude, sense. Dude, the the picture looks really good, right? Every now and then, if a picture's taken perfectly, it can make you look like. I mean, it looks like he's flying. It really is fantastic all around. All around. Yeah, Deculus looks like he's kind of late to the show. Like, was did he was he invited? Was he just kind of yeah, like? Yeah, why does part he, of this? Why did, yeah, why does he get to do the heel click? And then what's the baby celebration? I well, have that sounded. So many that's questions. a great caption. I would assume that's like a South Carolina complaining thing, or like them being babies. Am I wrong? Oh, okay, okay. I don't know. I have no idea. Because that was, that was no a idea. chippy game. Like, that was a genuinely chippy game in the second half. Um, all right, it I will ask about almost, that. It almost, it seemed premeditated. Definitely the heel click was premeditated. Because I watched it very closely last night. And you can see them both look at each other and then, like, start to time up their run-up to the jump. I mean, I Tory Carter <laughs> river dancing is something I would pay-per-view, you know, 100%. <laughs> uh, he had a great block on that play as right. well, uh, Tory Carter. All right, want to talk a little bit of Auburn before we wrap up? Yes, yeah, yeah, I know we've gone long, but, you know, it's so much fun to actually talk about football. It is. Um, uh, yeah, I think, and then uh, Trey Palmer should be returning all kicks. We agree on that, right? Like, there's no point in Derek Singley turning kicks at all anymore. When you you mean, like, in a factoring risk versus reward thing? I mean, he's a good punt returner, in my opinion. I think he makes some pretty great returns. But, yeah, I mean, if you're talking about also factoring in not wanting to hurt somebody like Stingley. Yeah, I'm yeah. fine. Because Palmer's, Palmer's probably a big And look plus. what just happened to Jalen Waddle. Yeah, good right? point. I mean, don't 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 risk Stingley in that way. It's too – this year is already too tough without catching any, any, any bullshit like that. All right, no argument there. You've convinced me. Um, all right, and then uh, – yeah, I think that's it for the defense uh, and everything else. All right, so uh, let's get into Auburn then. So LSU, huge confidence gainer. I called Saturday last stand for the defense. They stabilized. Um, but the reason why I still am not feeling great going forward because they still didn't play dominant. And uh, as we said, I think South Carolina was the perfect matchup for them. Yes. A more pro-style offense, like something more simple that they could kind of get behind and understand. Now, I don't think Auburn's particularly threatening either. Uh, I guess, what's, how do you feel? Who would you pick on this Monday? Who do you think will win this game Saturday? I know it's a fun one because the like if you look at, say, SP Plus's uh, line or you look at you know the actual What is betting, it? What, what does the S&P Plus say? It's zero. It's LSU by 0. 0.6. No, no, it's Auburn by <laughs> No, it's Auburn by 0. 0.6. And the betting okay, line opened yeah. as a one, and it already got down to even last I checked. So, yeah, yeah. it's kind of perfect. Um you know, it is Auburn's almost like South Carolina's offense in the sense that like it's kind of helps LSU because it's also a very efficient offense that does not give big plays. That is kind of who they are, which is exactly mm. what South Carolina is. And obviously, I mean, South Carolina still got big plays. So, but I, but I guess the point is that at least like is more of a benefit than for LSU than playing say in Mizzou, where you can at least probably try to reduce and bend, don't break, and all those things. But 
Yeah, I think my takeaway is I trust Auburn more just in the sense that Auburn has played, first off, Auburn's played way better football teams so far. And two, we've learned they know how to take care of business some, right? They beat Kentucky 29-13, and I like this Kentucky team. They eh, Arkansas should have been a loss, actually. But yeah, it, and Ole Miss <laughs> maybe should have been a loss, too, yeah. dude, with, I mean, with that finger. I don't know. I don't know. It's Auburn team's weird. They are... Yeah. They are so razor thin close to being one and four. Yeah, no, I don't think Auburn's very good, and I think if LSU shows up, but the problem is you never know if they're going to show up. But if Auburn LSU shows up, I would pick LSU. I genuinely and it's tough to expect that because, like we talked about, they're so young, and young teams are just volatile. Exactly, you just don't know what to expect week to week. If they do show up, I actually feel confident picking them. You know what I mean? If I saw, but because I don't like Auburn right now, and I, I. Love admitting when I'm wrong. And, you know, I in my state of the program, for example, I kind of bought the Bo Nix Chad Morris marriage. I, I am in the category of people who, like, did consider Chad Morris a, you know, really good offensive mind. And then all of a sudden, like, there's been this, like, revisionist, like, hey, let's actually look back at that these last few weeks across college football. And it's like, you know, you know, Clemson's offense actually got better once he left, which I don't think is that fair, but I'm just saying it did. And then, and then you add in that SMU actually their offense got better. You know, all these things. It's like, all right, maybe he's not that good. And their offense is – it's still Gus Malzahn's offense. They were selling how it was going to be, you know, a different passing route tree. And it was going to be more of a nuanced intermediate passing game instead of the Malzahn, you know, screen or deep ball. And it's a little different, but it's not that much different. You're not seeing much success. Bo Nix is still completing only 58% of his passes for not a very good average per attempt. So you're really scared there. And I also bought in on the hype that, not hype, but I kind of was sold that Auburn, you know, because they have a lot of talent on the D-line. They have a lot of talent in the secondary. I thought that they would kind of be able to reload there and really kind of keep it going, and I've actually been wrong there. Their defense is only 30th in the country in SB+, which, just for context, for Auburn or an SEC defense is a, a huge step back for Auburn. So, yeah, I'm not impressed with Auburn at all. LSU should win this game. I just don't know if they will. Yeah, I guess um, the major questions that I have, and I'm just operating the assumption that Finley will start. Uh, I don't think Miles is going to be back for this game. Um, the major question I have is what will Kevin Steele scheme up, right? Yeah, he's great. Uh, we saw this guy last year scheme up a 3-1-7. He'd never run before and use it to great effect against Joe Burrow. I was terribly unimpressed with Will Muschamp's plan for Finley, which granted, I kind of, I mean, I guess I don't hate the base logic. I'm just surprised they kept doing it. But they yeah. seemed very content to just rush for and drop into coverage and make the freshman prove that he could beat them. It was Dave Aranda's Kyle Trask strategy. Yeah, yeah, yes. Okay, actually, that's a, that's perfect. It was, and 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 both ways, it kind of played out the same way, except that Aranda made some changes at the exactly, end and, yeah, yeah. and got it down. Muschamp did not. I am uh, much more concerned about what Kevin Steele will do. However, on the flip side, of that if T.J. Finley goes out there and passes the Kevin Steele test, I will be even more excited about this cat then because that would be pretty spectacular as well. Uh, one guy that terrifies me is Tank Bixby. Uh, on top of having a super badass name, <laughs> LSU has not had a very good rush defense. Larry Roundtree the third kicked their ass. Um, even Vanderbilt had a lot of success. Look at that first drive from the other day. So I, I, I guess I'm just... I, I, Tank Bixby looks very talented, and I could see him having a huge game on Saturday. Yeah, because all these things I'm saying about how that offense is still, you know, I'm not going to call it a mess, but still flawed and all that. The one thing that's still there, though, is they're very efficient. It's Auburn. It's an efficient run game. 
and Tank Bigsby is awesome. And yeah, like you know they're going to do that. And this is where we will actually learn, you know, if LSU's D-line can step up. Because correct me if I'm wrong, it's kind of the first team we've seen them play so far that that's what they want to do. You know, like I know South Carolina is more pro style, but I don't think they're necessarily like we want to run you know like just like be at the yeah, line yeah that's fair uh, so yeah i i think that's going to be interesting that it's going to be the first real test for that interior line and all those guys it's the first real test like damone clark in theory can do what he wants to do and i mean damone clark like we said has not been good but like this might kind of be a better matchup if you want to do some spin zony nature it's just an it's just a different test where we can learn different things about this football team but if bo Nix throws on the secondary if they have the same you know, yeah, come on. Breakups, dude. then you are like, oh, okay, Bo Pliny's gone. You know, that's all I'm saying. It's kind of funny. I don't I don't fear Seth Williams in like a one-on-one standpoint. I fear him in just LSU completely shitting the bed mentally and not covering him by 20 yards. That's the right like, way to I, like, it. like yeah. I will take Stingley going toe to Seth Williams. He's not gonna win one hundred percent of the time, but he will win the majority. Uh, at least I think so. But I'm just worried that they're going to scheme it up to where LSU's head's going to explode and he's going to be like with nobody than 15 yards just streaking down and there's seven points. Enjoy it. All right. So that is your LSU-Auburn breakdown. This is all that podcast. Podcast, Brody, uh, other notes. I enjoyed how Colin Hill's jersey said, See Hill. Um, so straight up, just chill on the back of his jersey. That's <laughs> pretty that. chill. Nice, nice. Um, and uh, is Indiana a playoff team? People are talking, man. Um, have you considered that? I mean, they I, eliminated I Penn not. State from the playoffs, right? I mean, you cannot. That is the second know. best football team they're probably going to play this year. It is kind of, oh, it is kind of crazy when you think of it that way. No, is the, the nine win? Well, I guess Wisconsin. They, they have Wisconsin this year, so that's brutal. Wisconsin's actually fourth in the country in SP. But the nine Windiana dream is alive with the bowl game. It is. You're, you just got to go undefeated. Games. No, <laughs> because there's the conference championship week. Thing. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah, I forgot, and they'll be there exactly. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. By the way, the projections this week, the Outback Bowl projections are IU-LSU. And that like feels like something that will happen purely because oh IU will God. be like, you know, a generally speaking good team, right? They're probably going to be like a, you know, I don't know, five and three and like ranked 21st in the country or something, something in that crazy realm. And LSU is going to be like four and six maybe, and but they're a bigger brand. So like that actually feels like an actually going to happen kind of thing. So that's going to be a fun one for everyone involved. But, man, IU, I mean, their offense looked terrible, so that's kind of concerning because their offense was, like, unbelievable last year and everyone's back except the OC, so that's kind of concerning. But, man, IU, it's tricky. I mean, I'm, I'm predicting it. I think they I think they barely get by Rutgers this week because that's how Indiana football works. But then they beat Michigan at home this next two weeks from now. Did you see uh, the celebration in the locker room afterwards? It was fantastic. Oh, it was, I mean, yes. Yeah, that's the thing that, like, I always joke with our college football reporters. Nicole Auerbach and I were laughing about it. It's like, listen – I don't mean, I'm not saying this in a mean way. We both have been around college football for a long time, right? Most college football coaches, even the ones we like, they're kind of full of it, right? Like a lot of them are sketchy dudes. A lot of them yes. are lying a lot. Yes. A lot of them yes. are, you know, you get where you are for a reason. That's the way I always put it. Tom Allen is the most like sincerely corny, like none of it's fake is just actually that like, I mean, maybe I'll find something out someday. It's terrible, but like actually that good a dude. So it is kind of cool to see. Like he is literally everyone's corny dad who like cries with their dad's recital. That's, I mean, their daughter, his daughter's recital. That's who he is. It was great in the post game speech when he was talking and they just all start yelling, I love you coach. And then he gets choked up. So he just. He just stops talking. And, a, <laughs> and he just does a crowd surf. That's the best way to handle that situation. That was a good pivot. Yeah. 
all right. Uh, this is the Hold That Podcast podcast. Subscribe to the Athletic. Listen to the Athletics SEC podcast, Football and Grits, as well. Um, theathletic.com slash hold that podcast or sweet sign up deal and buy your meats at a bear specialty meats and bocage. Uh, all right, Brody, uh, anything else to add here before we go? Um, sorry, Mike, our producer this week who has an hour episode. Other than that, nope. Hell yeah. Well, you know what? The people love it. And if you do rate it, review it, share it with your friends, and we'll be back next week on the hold that podcast podcast. Mm-hmm.